this house are many mansions, places to live, not just houses that are really cool. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself. I will come again and receive you to myself. And where I am, there you may be also. And they were a little bit confused. Philip and Thomas both said, wait a minute, where are you going? And how come we don't know where, what, the, what the Father is? What are you talking about? Not uncommon for them to ask. Now, we're lucky. We get to read the back of the book and work our way forward. So one of the things that, that we really like to do is say, well, I already knew all that. No, we didn't. If you're a new Christian, you didn't know all that. We use the book of John in the, mail, in the jail ministry because it has so many examples of what Christ was trying to teach us and mentor to us. And the next verse in 4 says, And where I go, you know, in the way you know. And Philip says, We don't know. What are you talking about? Jesus said to him, This is what he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. As Christians, we all know that already. If you're a brand new Christian, that makes no sense. So we have to explain that to the people that we're dealing with when we're on mission trips, when we're talking to people who have never heard of what the Holy Spirit is. And so he starts, he said, I'm going to reveal the Father to you finally, to the disciples. Now, they've been with him for three years, and just now he's going to, they're mature enough, they're going to be able to understand what he's talking about. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. And from now on, you know him because you've seen me. That's important. Do you, not believe, do you not believe I'm in the Father and the Father in me? The words I speak to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does the works. Now, he's leading up to something here for them. Because I don't know if they understand, and they did a little bit, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the, the Trinity. But he's seen, they've seen him walk away and pray all night. They know the Holy Spirit's in him. He says, believe me that I am in the Father. I am in the Father. You ever heard the word I am before? Yeah. Or else believe me for the sake of the work you've seen. When you see people raised from the dead and you see blind men healed and lepers walk away. But the people raised from the dead should have been a clue that there is something spiritual going on here. Verse 12 says, Most assuredly I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. Now, if you were one of the disciples and you're mentoring and you're being mentored and he is raising people from the dead and curing the lepers and blind men are seeing and deaf and he's overturning temple, you know, the tables in the temple. He said, this, all these works you're going to do too. And they're going, what? How is that going to happen? How can I possibly do the work that the Son of God is doing? I mean, that's a, hard, that's a hard thing for even new Christians to get. They're not understanding that we can, we can do that. He says, and whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Now, this isn't because you're a great preacher or you're a great missionary that you've traveled the world. So whatever you do in his name, in the name of Jesus, by the power of the Holy Spirit, See, that's where the connection gets lost sometimes in the religious community. You can't just aspire to be 
uh, an apostle and a bishop. And, a, and, and I used to give Pastor Goodluck a hard time because when you get over to Africa, titles are really important. So I'd call him Reverend Bishop Dr. Pastor Goodluck. And it was appropriate. <laughs> and it was really funny because when we're the missionary and you come running up to the car, or they come running up to the car, they actually grab your Bible and your stuff and, and carry it into the church for you. Well, that's unheard of here. You grab my Bible, I'm going to run after you, right? But that's the honor they give the missionary, the honor they give the preacher, because they know that. We're, we're a completely different culture. And he says in verse 16, I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper. Here we go. Now they're going to get to the understanding, right? That he may, he may abide with you forever, and they call him the Spirit of Truth. Spirit of Truth is the Holy Spirit, right? Whom the world cannot receive. The world out there cannot receive the Spirit of Truth. They're making up their own truth as they go. We've, and, you know, I hear a lot of people say, boy, we're, we're as evil as we've ever been. And I was praying one time in, I don't know, 2002, was at another church. We were at the house of prayer, and I was, I was on my righteous knees. And I said, Father, why did you ever put up with the Israelites? Such stiff-necked people, not following your word. And very quiet voice, the Holy Spirit said, and how are you so different? I said, well, it's time for church. i got to go. But that's the truth. Mankind has not changed in 2,000 years. We're still the same people we ever were because that's what mankind is. We don't change until we get help from the spirit of truth. He dwells with you and will be in you. Okay, so now we get to dwells in me. Yes, an indwelling of the Father and the Son. A little while longer and the world will see me no more, but you will see me because I live, you will live also. These are really strong words. And that's the reason we, I said we teach John at, at, at the jail ministries in the Michigans. It contains everything you need to know up front. It goes into the Spirit, why the Spirit is indwelling in us, and how we're going to pass that along to other people. And that's important. We've got to be able to pass it along to people, plant the seeds so that they're going to be hungry enough to go read this book, to go read the chapters. 20. One of Pastor Goodluck's favorite scriptures, that he, he, and, I, and I, I just love the way this says it. At that day, when you recognize that, at that day you will know that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. So that's the Father, Son, Holy Spirit and me? Wait a minute. That's not the Trinity now. It's the quadruple. How does that work? Well, he said it does. At that day, you will know that I am in my Father, you are in me, and I am in you. That means we have God, the Father, and the Holy Spirit. When we become, and this says, we become a new creation. We are, now we're Christian 2.0, to get technical. He who has my commandments and keep them, it is he who loves me, and he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him. Now listen to this. And I will manifest myself to him. That means make it aware in your soul, in your body, in your mind, in your, and when you talk, people are going to say, what? you're different. What's wrong? What's different about you? 
And I ha- I've had that happen at work because I, I make it known very quickly whenever I'm at work that, yeah, I'm a pastor at my church. And in the oil field, that changes the way they talk to you. Because they talk very rough out there. In fact, they'll apologize to me. Oh, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to say that. You have to apologize to me, Jack. You just, you just told God you didn't love him. I don't say that to him, but that's what happens, right? Well, Jesus answered, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. My Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. That's what it means to manifest, to dwell. It means they're living here, not just at 1030 when we get to church, not just when we turn on KSBJ. That means every single day. And as Kathy and I have been studying and, and really trying to realize, even the small things we're doing, uh, uh, cleaning the house, doing just a small project, walking together, there should be the presence of the Holy Spirit there 24 7. Let me say it again. There should be the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life 24 7, or you're not thinking about it right. Joy said it this morning in, in Sunday school. I'm not going to apologize for telling you the truth anymore. We've got, to, we've got to understand what we're talking about. We've got to understand what we say we believe. We've got to believe what we say we believe. You understand? Well, we're going to get to some pretty heavy-duty stuff here. This is the introduction. Now I'll start. In verse 29, it says, And now I have told you before it comes, and when it does come to pass, you may believe. Well, how? How is the Holy Spirit going to do that? Well, it says, the gift of peace, verse 25. These things I have spoken to you while being present with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things. And here's what I love about this, and I try and tell this to people who don't understand it. He will bring to remembrance everything you've ever learned. Now, if you ever have an experience witnessing to people and you're kind of anxious, you don't know if it's a, can I pray for you? Yeah, okay, let me pray. And all of a sudden, they, they said, well, I need, I need help with my marriage. I need help with my finances. And all of a sudden, you're, you're remembering things and scriptures and you're praying for them and it's very powerful. And they, and, and they walk away in tears and so are you and you. You walk away going, well, that was weird. First time that ever happens to you. But that's the power of the Holy Spirit. And when, when you start crying this morning, that's not a good thing to do to a pastor, you know, because I'm going to get up here and cry now. <laughs> but, that's, but that's where our heart is. And when our heart is with that person, we're going to connect. The Holy Spirit's going to connect our heart with their heart. And it says, if you love me, you would rejoice because I said I'm going to be with my father. My father is greater than I. Jesus saying, this guy, the father is greater than me. And we're going to be part of that. In verse 27, it says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. Not as the world gives you, but what I give you. And if you think about it, what is peace in the world? It's the lack of conflict. So everybody quits fighting. Okay, we're at peace. That's not peace. We're waiting for the next round of war, criticism, stress, worry, whatever, whatever that is. He says, let not your heart be troubled. How many times have you heard that? Heart is mind, will, and emotions. Troubled is we're worried. 
We have anxiety. We're, we're letting things stress us to the point. When he says, don't let that happen. Well, how do you do that? Well, you don't let it happen. When the Holy Spirit comes, you have a different peace. Now, the problems are still there. The bills still have to be paid. There's still people who are angry at you, that you or, or you have to forgive someone, and you have to go do that. But all that means you're going to do that in a different frame of mind, a different peace than what you've had before, right? And so when we have the peace that passes understanding, it says in 29, and now I have told you before it comes, how's it going to come? Well, let's go back to John 1. And this is where I always start with the guys at, at the prison and, and any kind of ministry, any kind of, of witnessing. You have to let them know where Jesus came from. John 1, 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Okay, that's important. Remember that. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. In him was life, and life was the light of men. Skip on down to uh, verse 11. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. Who's that? That's Israel. He claimed them as his people. But as many as, listen to this, but as many as received them, to them he gave the right. Now, we're a country based on rights. We have a bunch of rights in our Constitution. We have the Bill of Rights, and we go to court, and we fight for those rights. But we have the right to become a child of God? Yes. Yes. And I, and I try to get people to understand. You have the right to become a child of the holy living God. Well, how do I do that? Ah, I'm glad you asked. So I can lead them in the, in the sinner's prayer. I can lead, I can already, and a lot of times that doesn't make any sense to people. So you have to go through and explain what, what's going on. It says, let me read the 12 and 13 together. But as many as received them, to him he gave the right to become children of God to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. Say again. Who were born not of blood, that's flesh, that's us. Not of the will of the flesh, that's us. Or the will, but when we're born again as a child of God, and we go through life, and you've heard me preach this a lot of times, and I'm always going to preach it. When it says, when, when Nicodemus goes to, to Jesus, and Jesus tells him, don't be amazed when I tell you, you have to be born again. Well, in the Baptist church where I went to church, and in the Methodist church, they use that term very frequently, born again. What does it mean? Well, it means you receive Christ. You know, what does it really mean? Well, it means you receive Christ and you become a Christian. You go to Ezekiel, and I've preached this many times. You go to Ezekiel, and it says, I will sprinkle you with water. I will give you a new spirit, small s. Not big s. I will give you a new spirit in your body. What happens when you're conceived? You're given a spirit. Guess what happens when you're born again? You're given a new spirit. You're actually truly born again. You're given a new spirit. And now that old spirit was like this. Here's the God spirit. Now you're given a new spirit, and now it can connect with the Holy Spirit, right? So now we're, now we're born again. We're going to hear from God. We're going to be able to see what the Word meant. Remember when I said, 
and the Word was God. He was in the beginning. He was with God. Verse 14, my favorite. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. That's Jesus. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory. Now remember, they're writing these scriptures after the fact. We beheld His glory. We watched what He did and walked and talked and what He taught. As the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His, who? Jesus, Messiah, I am, Yeshua HaMashiach, the Son of God, Counselor. How many words can we have that we can describe who he was? But he became flesh. What? Yeah, he was in the the beginning. He was was with God. And the Word was God. And the Word became flesh. God himself came to earth as Christ. Sometimes I think we lose track of that. Because we say the word Jesus so many times. We say the word Christ. Christ means Messiah in the Greek. That he was the Messiah. This was, this is what made all of that possible. And so what, when we talk about his ministry, his, <clears throat> excuse me, his mentoring, the miracles, the crucifixion, the resurrection, the ascension, See, as Christians, we, we know all that because we've heard it, many of us, from the time we were in, in grade school till up to now. If you're a brand new Christian, you've studied it. If you've been in this church, you've heard it a lot. And so, as I've, I've preached at the men's group before, all of that was God's plan from the very beginning. This didn't just happen. He just didn't accidentally, they have to crucify him now. It was prophesied 2,000 years before he ever was born. Crucifixion wasn't a a method of execution by the Israelites. They stoned people. So crucifixion wasn't, when they talk about it in Isaiah, they were just going to look at that and go, we don't know what that is, because the Romans hadn't come around yet, right? After, After Christ was crucified, they said, oh, it was a form of execution for common criminals. So when he went to the cross, he went to the cross because Israel had said, we don't, we're not going to kill him. He may be a prophet. You guys kill him. That was part of the plan. And the resurrection and the ascension. Now the resurrection, and well, think about this. He's on the, he's on the cross. And one of the things he said, if you look in, in, in uh, Psalm yeah, Psalm 22. It says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's how the psalm starts. He's on the cross quoting the entire psalm. At the end of it, he said, It's over. It is finished. That was planned for the final redemption of mankind. When he's in the garden and he's praying, and he said, Father, take this cup from me. He's not, he's not scared of what's going to happen. He already knows what's going to happen. The cup he's talking about is a judgment. If you look through the Old Testament, every time they talk about a cup, it's a cup of judgment against the Philistines, against the Assyrians, against somebody. It's a cup of judgment. He's in the garden, and he's praying. He's saying, take this cup for me. What this is, is the final, final condemnation of mankind. Without this retribution, without this sacrifice, 
And without accepting that, you're doomed. You know, a lot of people, a lot of guys laugh about when we get out there preaching. We can't say to people who don't know, "Turn or burn." It hardly gets their attention. But when we start telling them, "Okay, this was a final, final covenant made by God with mankind. He made so many covenants with Israel, and they broke every one of them. Made covenants with man, they break every one of them. Can't break this one if he sends himself on the cross." But the final, final covenant, blood covenant. Many times, I'm, and I've mentioned it before to some of the guys, can you imagine that centurion standing at the foot of the cross and there's Jesus' blood dripping on his boots and Jesus said, it is finished. He gives up his spirit and dies. What did he say? You remember that? He said, surely this was the Son of God. What do you think the Pharisees thought? The chief Pharisee, he's standing in the Holy of Holies and the veil splits right down the middle. The thing was eight inches thick. And it splits and, spl- and, and comes apart. Don't you know that he went, uh-oh. I think we messed up. <laughs> but that was why. Not one, it says in the scripture, in, in, in Psalms, not one bone was broken. They had to break the legs of the other two so that they would suffocate. They come to him, he's already already given up the spirit. So he goes into the tomb and goes into the ascension phase, the resurrection. And so when he, he comes back and, and go into Acts 1, 4 through 8. After the plan of the resurrection and the ascension and the ascension's getting ready to happen, and it says in, in Acts 1, 4 through 8, and being assembled together. With him, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father. He said, You have heard from me. He'd already told them about it. He'd already told them what was going to happen. For John baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So he's telling them ahead of time what's going to happen. He'd been telling them this all along. Of course, it doesn't make sense. If they don't see, and that's why I keep saying, we understand because we know. They didn't understand. They're accepting it by faith. Okay, if that's what you say. Don't don't you know that when when he walked into the room after the resurrection, and Thomas wasn't with them, and Thomas said, I'm not going to believe it until I see the holes in his hands. So the next time he comes in, and the way he came in, he said, Peace. And there was peace. He said, Thomas, come here. He said, I'd like to be Thomas. Okay. <laughs> he said, touch my hands. And what did Thomas say? Okay, it's you. No, he said, my Lord, my God. He understood. My Lord, my God. He understood he was God incarnate. He had the Holy Spirit. And what's getting ready to happen to all of them, he had already told them, and he's telling them after, after, he's, after he's resurrected, and, he's, and he spent 40 days walking with them, talking with them. You've got to know they were just going, what's going on here? You know, okay, we're just going to keep going. Are you going to be the king of Israel now? And, and they asked him that. He said, for John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Therefore, when they come together, they ask him, saying, Lord, 
Will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? See, they're still thinking flesh. They're still thinking mankind. That's the way we're going to show everybody. We're going to be kingdom bound here. In, in, we're going to take over the whole Mideast. That's the way mankind thinks. We think fleshly. We think worldly. That's where we are. That's where we are. And he told him, he says, it's not for you to know the times or the seasons. But listen to this, verse 8. Go to verse 8 there, can you? Yes. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. What does that sound like to you? The Great Commission? Yeah. This is what he was waiting for, and that's what he told him. You will lay hands on people. Go into all the world and teach the gospel. How are you going to do that? You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all of Judea and Samaria and all the ends of the earth. That's, a, that's everywhere. That's all of us. So the Great Commission was actually put into to commission on the day of Pentecost. Right? That's when he finally commissioned everybody. And so here's what it says. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all in one accord. And I've heard that, you know, joked a lot about the cars and that kind of stuff. But they were all assembled in one place and they were all in agreement is what that means. That means they were praying together. They believed together. They'd been walking with Jesus for 40 days who had been, who had been raised from the dead. You know, the two guys that were, remember the two guys that were on the road to Emmaus and they were just so sad and all of a sudden, this stranger starts walking with them and says, hey, what's going on? How come you guys are so sad? It was Jesus, right? And they said, well, where have you been, man? Jesus, the great prophet, crucified, died, and now we don't know which way to go with this. And so he said, well, let's go sit down and eat. And so they started sharing scriptures with them. And then all of a sudden, they realized, that's Jesus. He's talking to us. And they ran back. To tell the disciples, hey, we just saw him. He was on the road to it with us to the Emmaus. Those examples are in the book for a reason. I want to be on the road to Emmaus. Emmaus-like, wherever that is. I want to be on the road to Sapala or to uh, Nigeria or Kenya or Costa Rica or Dominican Republic or Mexico City. Wherever God's going to call us, Oh, wait, let's go to Cyprus. How about that? Do we have a missions group here in Cyprus? Yeah, we should. We should be out walking in the streets. We should be out doing what we're supposed to do. Calvert. We started walking in the streets in Calvert. Did you know from the time we started walking, and they had a real drug problem up there. 30-something drug dealers were arrested and 16 crack houses were knocked down by the city, by the state, and we didn't even know it until it was done. Just from us walking and praying. We didn't know that. You've heard me talk about Miss Letty before. She was an older lady that was in the in the housing complex. And she had to be, I don't know, 150. <laughs> I don't know. She's about in her 80s or 90s. And, and she had this huge Bible sitting on the couch, had it covered up with an afghan. That's a knitted blanket for you young folks. 
And so when, when me and Pastor first knocked on the door, she said, come in. And so we go in. We're going, oh, hi, how you doing? And she had to sit on the couch, and we just started praying with her, and she was crying, and, and it was just wonderful. We had a great time. We walked out going, I think we got saved. What do you think? <laughs> I think she blessed us more than we blessed her. So we made it a point to always go talk to her. Well, then when all the drug dealers were, were, were arrested and they knocked down the crack houses, I was praying one righteous Sunday morning, Saturday morning. And again, the Holy Spirit's so, so gentle. <laughs> I said, thank you, Lord, for hearing our prayers. And he said, I was answering Miss Letty's prayers. Because she'd been praying longer than you've been alive. <laughs> but see, that's the way the Holy Spirit works. We were able to accomplish what she'd been praying for simply because we got off, our, off the bus and walked. And, and, and minister to people. That's what I'm talking about here. The Great Commission is something we're going to talk about a lot during the fast. Going forward here, we're going to have selected couples go up and sit at Calvert, talk with them up there, start walking the streets. We're going to have some things happening in Cyprus, events. People, we're going to, we're going to come and do what he said to do here. But when you receive power, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, all Judea and Samaria and Cyprus and Spring and Conroe. So you don't have to travel overseas to go do it. Oh, wait. The guy next door, the lady down the block, the man in the supermarket. You ever had that happen to you when you say, that Holy Spirit will tell you, you need, that lady needs prayer. And at first, I would just go, nope. I'm not walking up to someone and saying, hey, you need prayer. <laughs> but then you go and ask the right question. And you go, all right. And, and you walk up and you go, ma'am, can I just pray for you? I just feel like she goes, yes, please pray for me. And before you know it, she's crying and, and you're crying and, and you're just celebrating. Because you listen to the Holy Spirit, that's going to help, help you a lot. Now, you can't just go walking up to people just because you're... You know, I'm the missionary. I'm going to say, I need to pray for you. They're going to say, get in line like the rest of us. Oh, sorry. But when you listen to the Holy Spirit, and that's what he's talking about here, Holy Spirit will guide you. He'll show you what to say and do. It sounds funny when people don't do that for, for any reason. If they just try it once and pray about it, they'll understand what it means to have that infilling of the Holy Spirit. And that little, that quiet, It's a quiet voice. It's not... Of facts from heaven. <laughs> it's not this angels are, are blaring. It's a real quiet voice that says, that lady needs your help. That lady needs prayer. That man needs prayer. It's even worse for us guys to walk up to a man in Home Depot and ask him if he needs prayer. But it's happened. And they say, yeah, yeah, I do. And they've, they've gone through something that's devastating for them. One of the top, one of the, Guys, I prayed for in the prison. He was in the jail, actually, here at Harris County. Big old guy, six foot four. Lift, you know, could lift a Volkswagen. And he said, I need prayer. So we walked into the corner, and his back was to the rest of the guys. So I held his hands, and we were pretty, he wanted to see his kids again. He hadn't seen them in five years. I said, Sure, man, we're going to pray. And so we started praying. I started, and I started praying. I was praying harder than I prayed usually. And pretty soon his tears are dropping on my hands. This part makes me cry. 
And he converted right then. And he said, I'm going to see my kids again. And his tears baptized me. And here's the funny part. So he, got his, he has his back to the rest of them. And he, we finished praying. He wipes up all the tears. Walks back over to the group. Because you can't show emotion in jail. You can't show emotion in prison. I never saw him again. I don't know what ever happened to him. But I believe he was changed that day. And I had nothing to do with it. It was the Holy Spirit. So what happened when the day of Pentecost had fully come? They were all in one accord in one place. And suddenly there came, and this, and this is where people they think it was a wind. No, it was a sound of a mighty rushing wind. You ever been inside and all of a sudden the, the, the wind kicks up to 40 or 50 miles an hour? You can hear it blowing through the windows and, and you can see the trees bending over. That's the sound of what they heard in the upper room. Wasn't the actual wind? It was just that sound coming from heaven, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting, all the disciples. And there appeared in this part. I, this is the gospel according to Michael. There appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one sat on each one of them. And I consider that to be the glory of God, the as of fire. If you think about it, back then, what they used for light was a torch, fire. They lit a lamp, a lantern, had oil. It lit the fire. But you think about when Moses came down from the mountain, he had to cover his face with a veil. Why? Because the glory of God was shining off of his face. That's light. So when they say the, there appeared to them divided tongues of fire as one sat upon each one of them, I consider that to be the glory of God came flying down. Now, it could have been actual, actual fire. I'm not saying it wasn't. But I think it was more like the glory of God, like what Moses saw. And that's what came and sat on the disciples and filled their soul. And, and they began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. First time we've seen that recorded anywhere in the Bible on this day of Pentecost. And there were dwelling in Jerusalem at that time, many, many people, multitude of people. And again, why is this recorded for us to know? How many times in, in any of the gatherings in Jerusalem was there a multitude of people? Every time. But this time it's recorded because the multitude came together and were confused. Because everyone heard them speak in his own language. They were all amazed and marveled and looked at each other and said, Aren't these Galileans? And how is it that we hear in their own language which we were born? Let's think about, let's go back up to... 1 Corinthians 12, when the gifts of the Spirit come, and what we, and we, and I, 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 have, I have this discussion with a lot of people who don't believe in the gifts, they don't believe in the infilling of the Holy Spirit. I said, well, show me where those went away in the Bible. And they always go to, well, when the perfect love comes, then the gifts will go away. Great, show me the perfect love. I haven't seen it yet since World War I, World War II, and Korean War, and Vietnam War, and Iraqi War, and I haven't seen that perfect love yet. I've seen millions of people dying because of the hatred around the world. Why do we say the gifts didn't come? Well, theologically, it's kind of tough to explain. I'll tell you how it is. How is it we hear in each our own language when we were born, and the gifts are wisdom, knowledge, faith, healing, miracles, prophecy, 
Discerning of spirits, tongues and interpretation. What's the last one? Interpretation. So when these guys are hearing this in their own language and the Holy Spirit's falling on the crowd, are they hearing interpretation? And they're hearing things in their own language? Sure. Sure. That's how it worked. And Peter, and, and, and Peter up to this point, every time he opened his mouth, he got in trouble. Jesus was always rebuking him for one reason or another. But just because he was so intense and he wanted to help. And Peter stands up with the eleven, raised his voice and said to him, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let it be known to you and heed my words. All of a sudden, he's filled with wisdom and knowledge like he'd never been before. How'd that happen? The outpouring of the Holy Spirit. That's part of the gifts. Wisdom, knowledge, faith, healing. I just wonder how many people were healed in the 3,000. What happened the next day when they're walking to the temple? Beggars sitting there. Can't get up. Can't walk. And Peter says, well, faith, silver and gold have I none, but what I do have you, I give you get up and walk. Healed. Gift of healing right there. Have we had people healed in this church? Stage four colon cancer? Yes. People with backs and legs, and, and we've seen it happen. Over in Africa, I've seen it happen. And one of the things I do when we're praying for someone and, and they're healed, I always look up to see who in the congregation is watching. Because they're standing there with their mouth open like, Okay, you're next. Come here. They just received faith on what they saw happen. And unless you see that, unless you experience that, you'll never understand what it, has, what it means to have faith for healing, faith for knowledge, faith for the infilling of the Holy Spirit. And we have so many theologians around the country who are PhDs, double PhDs, who will argue that the Spirit is not active today. And I guarantee you, it's not in their church. Because they've, they've decided it's not. And, when, and so the, the people, I say, well, rip that, Pastor Goodluck, rip that page out of your Bible. Whoever mentions the Holy Spirit and gifts, rip that page out. You would end up with a New Testament about that thick. And Peter, standing up with the eleven, raised his voice and said to him, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and heed my words. These things were prophesied by Joel, by uh, Isaiah. It says, It shall come to pass in the last day that I will pour out my spirit on flesh. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Young men shall see visions. And your old men will dream dreams. Now, Kathy has prophetic dreams. I have pathetic dreams. I don't get that yet. <laughs> she has some real prophetic stuff. I wake up and tell her mind. She goes, ooh, you shouldn't have eaten that last night. <laughs> but, I, but I do get visions, and I do understand when I'm praying that the Holy Spirit's talking to us, and we have to tell other people about it. The Holy Spirit doesn't tell us all this information so we can be full of information. He wants us to spread it to other people, to plant those seeds. Over and over and over, we have to plant those seeds. Now, sometimes we're responsible for watering them. Sometimes we're responsible for nurturing. And sometimes we're responsible for just spreading the word, planting the seed, and keep walking. That's what evangelists do. They don't have to worry about, I'm going to pastor the church. Right? And on my men servants and maid servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they shall prophesy. 
So to get to my message, I said all that to say this. John 15, King James Version, the true vine. I want everybody to get that up front, why we have the Holy Spirit, what we have going forward. I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser, the farmer, the, the one who's going to take care of us. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes. Okay, get ready to get pruned. What is the pruning? Why the pruning? Why are we taught and we're, and we're doing all these things and we're supposed to do it and all of a sudden things get difficult? The pruning starts to happen. It's because, so just like in a fruit tree, you prune it so it bears even better fruit, more fruit. And that's what he's talking about in John 15. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, unless it abides in the vine, neither can you, unless you abide in me. We have to stay connected to the vine. We're a branch all by ourselves. We're not getting anything done. We've got to have the Holy Spirit. We've got to have fellowship. We've got to have the people who are going to strengthen us. And that's all y'all, to use Texas terms. We, we strengthen each other, right? And, we, and we, we come together and we pray together and we, and we fellowship. And, we, and it's, all, it's all because he's in me and he's in you and he's in us. Again, like I said, now it's the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit in us. That, that's the one that has to pop up. The four in one, not three in one. Isn't that good? That he lives in us, Jesus lives in us, and the Holy Spirit lives in us. I didn't make it up. That's what it says in the book. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it should be done for you. Okay, let's, let's emphasize that a little bit. That means you can't ask for everything you want. It says, if Lord abides in you and his words abide in you, he's going to tell you what to pray. And when you pray for what he is saying to pray for, it's going to come to pass. I've heard some people, one guy, was, was he had called one of the evangelists and said, you said whatever I asked for, the Holy Spirit would give me it. He said, I prayed for a Cadillac 350 times that day and nothing happened. And he said, well, did God tell you to pray about a Cadillac? Well, no. There you go. Hang up. <laughs> That's flesh. That's worldly. Now, what he's going to do is say, I want you to pray about who you're going to give your money to. What? That's my money. No. I'm going to ask you who you're going to give your money to, who you're going to give your time to, who you're going to give your time to go worship with someone else, to walk with them, to talk with them, someone who's getting ready to, to, to commit suicide. You don't even know these things, what they're thinking, what's happening. And when, when you find out what you have been able to do, and I say what you've been able to do through the power of the Holy Spirit, it just amazes you every time. And I used to get, when people would get healed at church, and, and I would just be amazed every time. And I was kind of getting mad at myself. Why am I amazed? That's why we're praying, right? And the Holy Spirit told me, he said, stay amazed. Stay expecting. Stay expecting that to happen every time. Does it happen every time? No. And it has nothing to do with me, but he says, 
laying on of hands, whatever their belief is, is going to happen. So that's why it's important for us to preach. To preach to them and say, here's what's going to happen. Here's what the Holy Spirit says if he abides in you. And I pray for you. I'm just going to do what, the Holy, what, what God is telling me to do. And you're going to receive according to your belief. Faith. Faith. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you'll ask what you desire and it should be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit. So you will be my disciples. In 1 John, and here's, the, here's really the message here. In 1 John it says, For this is the message that you heard from me in the beginning, that we should love one another. Right? We know love because he laid down his life for us. This is 1 John writing this. John, his brother. And we also ought to lay down our lives for our brethren. But whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him. How does the love of God abide in him? When you walk past the guy who is in need, the woman who is in need, true need. That's not always material wealth. That's spiritual wealth, spiritual need. And we walk past them going, yeah, but I, I go to church. You should be going to church. Well, come to my church. Come with me. Let me show you what we believe and how we do it. My little children, let us not love in word or tongue, but in deed and in truth. That's verse 18. My little children, let us not love in word or in tongue. What good does it do? It says that in James. What good does it do to tell someone, be of good cheer, and then walk away when they're in need with something? They may just be in need to hear the word, to hear you. And whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and we do those things that are pleasing in his sight. And verse 23. I'll close with this. And whatever we ask, we receive from him because he keeps his commandments and we do those things that are pleasing in his sight. And this is his commandment, that we should believe on the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as he gave the commandment. What did he say the, the commandments were? The only two that he left us with? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, and all your strength and to love one another as I love you. Can we criticize other people, be angry with other people? Is that showing love? That's hard. I'm going to tell you, man, that's hard. Sometimes there's people who don't deserve to be loved. And that's just my opinion. (laughs) But we all have that opinion once in a while. And how hard that is to just, okay, I'm just going to love them someday. No. That's not what he said. To love this person. Love them. You don't, have to, you don't have to live with them. You don't have to be around them. But you've got to love them. And you've got to be able to say, God loves you, and let me show you why. Let me show you how. Let me show you how he changed my life. So, let's pray. Father God, we just thank you for your word today. We thank you, Lord, for your magnificent Spirit, as you fall from this place, Father God, into our lap, we, just, we, we gather it up like it's fruit, Father. Thank you for your spirit. Thank you for the word. Thank you for the truth. And Lord, we thank you that you're going to be going with us as we leave this place today. In your name we pray. Now, is there anybody here, is our tradition, 
Anybody here who has not received the Lord? I'd like for you to raise your hand. You don't have to come up front. Just raise your hand and we'll pray with you. Okay. Everybody stand. Lord, as we go forth into the new year, we thank you. We just we just ask blessings on everybody here as they go into the new year. In your name we pray. If you need healing, you need prayer for some reason, I ask our prayer partners to come forward here. Come on up and, and have one of these people pray for you.